Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I am your host, George Mason, and I'm pleased to introduce a new series that we're starting uh, that we're calling American Faith. And our first guest is Rabbi Nancy Kasten. Nancy, we're so glad to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, just full disclosure, uh, Nancy and I work together in Faith Commons, which is the parent company, you might say, of Good God. And we've been working in these circles and around this subject uh, quite a bit over time. And so it's fitting, Nancy, that you should be the first guest to kick off this series, uh, because what we're really talking about here is claiming the promise of America, uh, that we have uh, a land of many faiths, and all faiths are legally welcome in this country, but not all people of faith feel equally welcome in this country. Uh, that is to say that although we have Article uh, 6 of the uh, Constitution, which says that there shall be no religious test for serving in public office, and we have the First Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees religious liberty and freedom uh, from government uh, intrusion and uh, a free exercise of religion. Nonetheless, culture trumps policy and, and all of that quite a bit. And we have a long history of minority religions struggling to have a sense of equal place in our society. So the question really that we're asking uh, in this series is, what does it feel like uh, to be a person of your faith in America today? And what would you want people to know about that experience as we seek to work on this unfinished project of true religious pluralism? Well, you know, as I just want to, you know, first of all, say, as we, we talked about in, in thinking through this whole series, that I'm only one person. I am a Jewish person, but I'm only one Jewish person. So um, you'll get a lot of variety and, and um, differing uh, ideas about what it means to be Jewish in America today. But I want to go back to your premise that, um, you know, all religions are welcome legally in the United States. I think that's where the difference lies today. Um, I grew up thinking that, believing that and experiencing that, feeling that. So, you know, I grew up in Newton, Massachusetts, I went to a high school, a public high school that was 90% Jewish, mm. a public high school. And it wasn't, you know, I mean, most of the people who were, most of the students um, were not observant, particularly observant Jews. I mean, there was a, um, you know, Jews, reform, conservative, orthodox, nothing. Um, it was a very um, academically oriented community. Um, and our high school would go caroling on Christmas Eve uh, on Boston Commons every year. And that was a great treat. And the whole, you know, and yeah. here we were like, you know, mostly Jewish kids singing Ju Christmas carols. And that was so much fun and going and seeing the lights and celebrating and, you know, decorating trees with our friends and drinking wassail. And is that how you pronounce it? Wassail? Wassail. 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 There you go. Right. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eating Christmas cookies. And, you know, um, it was great. And, 
you know, our friends would come over and light Hanukkah candles with us. And there was never any um, sense that we didn't belong. You know, it was celebrating each other's traditions. Um, moving to the South was very different because I moved into a place where it was very clear, you know, there, it wasn't a 90% Jewish environment. It was a almost, you know, invisible Jewish environment, really, mm -hmm. um, except for within, you know, our Jewish community, synagogue mm -hmm. and extended Jewish community. Um, and while Jews had very prominent roles in civic life in Dallas when we moved here, um, you know, it was different. And one of the big differences was that Jews had Christmas trees in Dallas. I had never seen that before. Mm -hmm. And it came out of a sense that um, I think that, you know, we celebrate Christmas as Americans and we celebrate Hanukkah as Jews. And we're both. We're Americans and we're Jews. And so we celebrate both. That idea that Christmas is the American holiday is something that I really hadn't thought about before. I, it didn't feel like an American holiday to me. It felt like a holiday that maybe the majority of Americans who observed faith traditions, observe, you know, they, they celebrated, but it wasn't an American holiday. And I think that's what's different now, um, that I'm not sure you know, especially, and, you know, Jews have been somewhat um, spared from the legal issues, but certainly Muslims have gotten a very clear message that their faith is not um, protected by the law in the same way that Christian or even Jewish faith is protected by the law to date. So, you know, I think that that's, that's a, a, a difference today. And I think that there, we're, we're, we have yet to see what that difference will mean going forward um, for our community. So let's just think about this to clarify that what you're really saying is that America is not one thing. It, we, have, we have regional cultures too, right? And uh, microcultures in different parts of the country. And so here in Dallas and in the South generally, there is a sense that uh, Christianity is the default culture. Uh, that is to say, it, it is the foundation of America's civil religion. And uh, so uh, to get along it, as an American is to defer to that if you are a minority religion in some way and resistance to it or uh, a sense of questioning about its place puts you in a position then of feeling somehow less than fully American. Is that, am I understanding you correctly? Um, it's not even about just questioning it, it's living that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes one ask, you know, am I, you know, are the people who are promoting this kind of a law or this kind of a culture or norm, 
did they really see me as American, right? I mean, you right. think about what happened in Charlottesville. I mean, maybe that's an extreme and a fringe, but I think that, that um, the, the changes in some of the judicial positions make us, make me feel like there are things to think about and question that I never did before. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a question of, am I fully American, but as an American, am I equal to every other American? Well, when you bring up Charlottesville, you're talking about a resurgence of anti-Semitism that was represented in uh, that march uh, by Christian nationalists. So the very nature of Christian nationalism that has been resurgent in the past years and has sort of come out of uh, hiding, you might say, and become very deliberate that we should be a Christian nation. The chants were, you will not replace us, right? And that, you know, I think most people looking back at Charlottesville think that it was only really a white supremacy march against the Black Lives Movement, but it was also rooted in this longstanding sense that Christians fear that, uh, that Jews are, in a sense, uh, conspiring to replace them. Uh, and the irony of that, of course, is that, you know, Christian theology has often been a replacement theology of Judaism, right? And, and said that Judaism is no longer a living, vital religion. Uh, it's past the baton of the people of God and Christians of the new Israel. So, so what happens in the Jewish community when something like Charlottesville happens and you hear that language come back and you, then you don't hear uh, the, the round uh, condemnation of, of public officials and Christian leaders and that sort of thing of that. What, what stirs in the heart and life of an American Jew when that takes place, Nancy? I mean, I think there's a, a huge range. I think that probably the vast majority of Americans um, are worried about anti-Semitism writ large. Um, you know, very concerned with things like security in Jewish institutions and that kind of thing. But um, I don't think Christian nationalism is what they're preoccupied with. Um, I don't think that for the most part, the Jewish community is on the ramparts about, um, you know, the attacks on the separation of church and state that um, that have occurred and that, you know, can, in my opinion, threaten to um, make those um, fringe ideas or ideologies into legal practice or protected practice. Mm -hmm. um, I think about, for example, you know, we have still a secretary of education who has promoted the public funding of religious schools, mm -hmm. right? If we were to have a secretary of education who came from a Muslim background, who wanted mm -hmm. to promote public funding for religious schools, mm -hmm. um, 
I think there would be an attack on their religious background. Yeah. Their faith sure. tradition. Right. No one, no, I mean, not no one, but there isn't a widespread concern that Betsy DeVos's Christianity is what is motivating her because mm -hmm. Christianity isn't threatening to people, yes. right? Right. Um, but somehow Islam is, Islam is threatening to people and a person who is Muslim, you know, might be trying to undermine the true America. That does, you know, that doesn't happen with a Christian um, public official. So you've, you've actually moved into this interesting intersectional uh, moment where you, you are relating your own Jewish experience over time uh, as a minority religion in America. And uh, although there are uh, issues still that are uh, active uh, for the Jewish community, this has moved you to recognize also other religions that are under threat uh, by the, the culture, uh, Islam in particular. And, uh, you know, I think back, Nancy, to 1790, when um, President George Washington wrote uh, to the Hebrew congregation in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, which was, if I might say, um, started by a Baptist, Roger Williams, and the first colony of religious liberty in, in history. Uh, but and my they, maternal homeland, my mother was born, well, she, was, she grew up in Newport. Lovely. And, okay. and my well, parents were named in the synagogue where Washington visited. No kidding. All right. Well, let's remember that he wrote to them because of their concern about what kind of country we would have and what their place would be in it. And he, he quoted from Micah 4.4 uh, about how uh, every person uh, will be able to sit under their own vine and fig tree and not be afraid uh, in this new land. Uh, that, is, uh, that is a kind of uh, announcement at the beginning of our country that makes clear the intent that notwithstanding the numbers of how many Christians and how many Jews and how many of other faiths there are, that doesn't just apply to Jews. That is true. The force of it is to be true for every person of faith or no faith in this country. And so to, to take that seriously becomes, I think, a project for us, doesn't it? I mean, that, that we not only deal with the legal aspect of it, but the cultural aspect. Well, except I think that, um, that that argument can be made on both sides and, has, it, and it is made on both sides of the um, spectrum of understanding of religious liberty. Mm -hmm. For some, in order for everyone to be able to sit under their own fig tree, that means that um, others, that, that you cannot serve others in certain ways or shouldn't be forced to serve others <clears throat> in certain ways that would, um, that would contradict your faith belief. So, you know, one of the things that we have within Judaism, because our people lived for so, so much <clears throat> of our history in exile, um, 
you know, the law of the land, the law, our law was always the law of the land. Even though we have Jewish law, we have a system of Jewish law called halakha, where that is binding upon Jews, upon observant mm -hmm. Jews. Um, <coughs> even for the most observant Jews, the law of the land supersedes whatever Jewish law there is. So mm -hmm. um, you might have a Jewish wedding ceremony, but if you live in the, in the United States, you have to have a civil license as well. You can't just mm -hmm. be married under, under Jewish law. Um, likewise, if there's something that actually contradicts Jewish law within civil law, the civil law always is accepted. Um, that, that is challenged. That notion is challenged because Christians don't have that same halakha. Mm -hmm. And so the question of what the, uh, you know, the overarching authority is going to be is left open. And yet Christians continue to make the argument that there are things that we uh, see in government that are contrary to our faith and that are a threat. And we must, uh, in the words of um, uh, Peter in the New Testament, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, it, and, and, and that's a, 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 a case that's made mostly now by, um, of course, uh, more conservative Christians who feel that, for example, uh, they have to remove their kids from public schools because they're not being taught according to their own biblical values and that they are therefore being uh, discriminated against or persecuted in the public sphere and those, those kinds of things. I think halakha that you, you just mentioned is, is an interesting thing because going back to Islam, uh, Sharia law is, is a similar situation and people don't realize that uh, the American law for Muslims supersedes Sharia. And yet we have all of these cases of lawmakers and states trying to um, pass laws against Sharia uh, so that, you know, we could keep Muslims at bay. We, we haven't really been doing that about Jews following Halakha. halakha so. No, but well, that's right. But I, that's part of why, I mean, part of the reason is that, um, the Jewish community in so many ways has assimilated and we've mm -hmm. been able to do that within our own tradition because we have those um, pardons <laughs> built yeah. in, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So that I think that raises a question that I think you, you've told me before, maybe it was in your uh classes preparing for your bat mitzvah or something like that, where the question was asked to you, are you a Jewish American or an American Jew? How, how do you answer that question? And what's the difference so that people could understand what negotiating this space feels like? Well, again, I think that this is such a different question now than it was then. And I'll tell you something, part of it has to do with Israel. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, I mean, another regional difference, and I'm actually, I have some questions for you too, so I want to make sure we leave time for that. All right. Because I, I want to know if you, if you see any change. You grew up in New York. I did, yeah. And then you've lived in the South for a long time. So I'm curious mm -hmm. to know whether from your, you, you either saw regional changes or changes over time. Mm -hmm. 
um, in how you saw minority communities as mm -hmm. faith communities, as either being part or being, you know, an exotic, in, mm -hmm. you know, culture of interest um, versus an actually integrated part of the fabric of our country. But any, but I think, you know, the question then was, um, you know, are you, was I primarily an American as somebody who was born in America and, and had American citizenship and protected by American law and my Judaism would inform, my faith would inform my national identity versus mm -hmm. I'm a Jew, um, my faith preceded any, precedes any nationality. Right. And my, so my national identity um, informs my Judaism, yes. right? Mm -hmm. um, that was a question that could be asked when there was actually no question in my mind that I was an American with, you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't a dual citizen of a Jewish na nation and an American, right. an, an American nation, right? Um, mm -hmm. There was a state of Israel mm -hmm. at the time, but it wasn't my, as it isn't now. It's not mm -hmm. my birthplace. It's not my place of citizenship. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to become an Israeli if I want to become one. Um, but I don't, so I have two options, whereas millions of people around the world right now have no options of nationality. So I don't take that for granted. But when I, but when in those days, and you know, part of the reason that um, Jews in Dallas had Christmas trees was to kind of make sure people knew that they were American, right? right, right. That they weren't, that they weren't, um, they did, they weren't, they didn't have dual loyalty. Mm -hmm. They weren't also loyal to, to Israel. And there mm -hmm. was no, um, they wanted to make sure nobody thought that they would uh, preference their love for Israel over their um, loyalty to the United States. In a very bizarre change over the last 40 years um, Israel, Israel and Jewish identity have become enmeshed in a way yes. that is very hard to disentangle um, while Zionism the longing for the eternal homeland of the Jewish people has always been a, 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 an inseparable part of Jewish identity, the modern nation state of Israel is not the same as that, you know, and the, and the loyalty to the modern existing nation of Israel is not the same as that Zionism for that um, is, is loyal to the idea of the, um, centrality of Israel. Right. So, and, and I think many Christians especially do not understand that Jews do not think, uh, do not have one mind about things that are going on in Israel. Uh, while I think, generally speaking, you can say that all Jews are Zionists in the sense of being grateful for the nation state itself. Nonetheless, there is 
a difference of opinion about government policies in Israel and their relationship to the Palestinians and uh, the, the moral underpinning of how Judaism is tied to uh, political action and uh, international relations and those sorts of things. And I think a lot of Christians just blindly assume that there is this dual citizenship, so to speak, uh, where your, your loyalty as uh, uh, to Israel um, actually makes it somewhat questionable at times in terms of your American identity and, and loyalty too. And we've seen some of that happening in, in this administration with policies that uh, uh, have been different uh, and changes that have made. Well, and I think, you know, again, to say that um, any politician's support for Israel um, is equal to um, the validation of Judaism as, a, you know, a, an accepted and included religion within the United States of America. Um, mm -hmm. When you equate those two things, then you're assuming that every Jew is part of the Israeli nation. Right, right, right. right. The, and, and, you know, and I, all, I think what we're seeing within the Jewish community as a result of this, which I think is troubling, is that Jews who object to what the, the modern state of Israel is doing and policies of the government of Israel um, feel like they have to choose um, being Jewish or being American. Like right, it's not, right. it's not both, right? That mm -hmm. if you're, if you're American and you want to um, fight for policies that you think are good for America, then you might need to separate yourself from Israel at times. And if you do that, then somehow you can't consider yourself Jewish because then you'd be a traitor to Judaism and to the Jewish people. I think what you're saying is that we all need to learn to be more comfortable with the complicated nature of our many identities that make up uh, our um, situations in, in the world, uh, where we live and uh, what our religious convictions are. And we can't assume uh, uh, to put, put people into a simple box of you're Christian, you're Jewish, you're American, you, those sorts of things. Uh, I want to get back to the question you asked me because we are kind of uh, losing our time. Uh, I grew up in Staten Island, New York, which is actually quite a conservative um, borough, one of the outer boroughs, you might say, of, of New York City. And uh, it, was, um, it was interesting to me that, yes, you're right, I encountered uh, more Jews uh, in New York generally uh, I, I went to a magnet high school in Brooklyn, and so uh, even more so there. Uh, but nonetheless, most of my upbringing was around Italian Catholics, um, because New York is very, I mean, not, it was over, I'm sorry, uh, Staten Island was more than 90% Italian Catholic when I was growing up there. So when I would play Little League Baseball or Pee Wee Football, uh, and we would go through the cultural ritual of sports, and that is, okay, we have a team prayer, you know. You put your hands into the huddle, and immediately they begin to say the Hail Mary. Now, I was 
non-Catholic and I was an evangelical Christian who did not know the Hail Mary prayer. So immediately I learned at an early age that sense of being excluded from uh, religious practices that were cultural norms, uh, even though I was a fellow Christian. Now, I mean, to be candid back then, I wasn't sure Catholics were Christians and they weren't sure I was, you know, to, I mean, look, that's just sort of the way all of that happened, right? Uh, when, when I went to the University of Miami, eventually became a Baptist, I actually uh, moved from being kind of a minority part of the Christian community in New York to becoming part of a historically minority um, denomination uh, in American history. And I learned quickly that Baptists were one of the only groups of Christians that did not have an established uh, colony. Uh, and we were part of the tradition that argued for church-state separation, full religious liberty, and were the Christian group that was most responsible, probably, you might say, for the First Amendment. Um, but then I moved to Texas. And what I found was this completely different culture from the Miami where there were many Jews, Miami, Miami Beach, for heaven's sake. Um, it was, you know, a suburb of New York in a, a lot of ways for me, you know, uh, in, in Miami. I moved to Texas and the, the cultural dominance of Christianity and conservative Protestant Christianity uh, was a new thing to me uh, to navigate. On the one hand, it makes one feel a little more at home, uh, but then you start realizing what happens when you put on a majority consciousness and you lose that sense of being a, uh, a sojourner in the world, a resident alien, you know, that is part of our biblical tradition. And um, both Jews and Christians use that kind of language to speak of the, the authentic spiritual experience of living in the world and the longing for a, um, a promised land to come, you might say, uh, that is yet always just beyond our reach. So I would say, Nancy, that for me, education and experience and, um, and, and getting in touch with my roots has helped me navigate this to the point where in, in my own faith journey, I have moved to recognizing that unless I am learning sensitivity and advocacy for uh, people of other faith traditions and doing my best to uh, treat them as equals and to recognize uh, the challenges they face even in, at, at the hands of my fellow Christians, then I'm not really fulfilling my Christian duty, uh, let alone my American duty. And so that's what's changed for me, I suppose you might say. So. Thank you. Well, there, you and I could do this all day. And I, I think there, there are many, uh, many things that uh, uh, we, we, we know would be helpful as we go forward. But if, if you had some some things that you might want to say to uh, those who are not Jewish that would say, 
let me tell you what it would, how it would help uh, Jews in America uh, feel uh, your support and encouragement and uh, your um, acknowledgement of our place uh, as your uh, full-fledged neighbors in, in American life. What would be some ways that you would suggest we think about our responsibility? You know, I have to say, I think, um, like so many of our challenges right now in um, trying to create more equity in our country, that it all starts with ourselves, right? That if we can't, uh, that, that the first step is to recognize um, that we're all alike in a certain way, that we all have areas in which we feel excluded and mm -hmm. um, diminished in certain ways or ignored or invisible. Mm -hmm. And that when we do that, the, if we just tried to then um, fill the gap for ourselves, rather than use, that we, if we fill the gap for ourselves, then we're, um, we're exacerbating the problem for others. Whereas if we use that as an opportunity to identify with that same sense of um, displacement or uh, sojourn, uh, sojourning, um, the, uh, the, the outsider feeling that we have, if we use that to create a sense of empathy and compassion with others, then together we can build a community, a society, a country where everybody feels like they belong. Um, we can't all have everything we want, right? Mm -hmm. we'll, we mm -hmm. will never all have everything we want. Right. And so it's more about saying, you know, let's see, let's see everybody and everything as essential and make sure that everybody has what they need and, um, try to identify with that in each other. I think that's the first step. Uh, I've been reading a book and um, the, the, the woman who wrote it talks about people who have been other to us, that if we, if we really find our common humanity with them, we, we, should, be, we should begin to, to see the other person as that part of me that I do not yet know. And I, I really like that. Uh, and so uh, you and I work on uh, this project ongoing in what we call Faith Commons, that we invite everyone to the commons and bring your faith with you, whatever it is, and it is welcome with us. And we will uh, try to understand one another better and work toward a more just and peaceful society. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me as we kick off this American Faith series. Thank you, George. Always so much fun to, to have these conversations. I agree. Well, God bless you in this season, and we will uh, look forward to a good new year as COVID begins to lift and we begin to see uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Take care. Happy New Year. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. 
Good God Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.